All right, let's get pumped back up, right? How many, how many guys are excited about what God's doing? Right? Let's give God a round of applause. It's Mission Sunday, right? And guess what? God is always on mission, and He wants us to be on mission with Him. And what I love is this church is about missions, right? Because so many churches have lost the vision. But the mission of God is very important, and the mission of God is to take the Great Commission to the world. And you say, well, what's the Great Commission? It's to to go out and make disciples of Jesus Christ and share the gospel, amen? Now, every one of us, have had somebody do that, I pray, and we were led by somebody else to Christ. And so it's very important that we do that. It's important that we go and tell others about Jesus Christ. I don't go to Haiti to take school supplies. I don't go to Haiti um, to build roof projects. I go to Haiti to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what I found is those things become tools in our hands to reach others, amen? And so here's the deal. Our church about three or four or five years ago, really got excited about missions. And when we got excited about missions, God honored that and blessed our church and it grew. And we, we, we were able to acknowledge that. One of the biggest offerings that we ever took up in this church at that point, the biggest offering at that point, was money raised to put three roofs on churches in 2019. And we all, all of our elders were like, oh my gosh, that's more money than we, we bring in in a month. Why? Because God pricked the hearts of people and God showed our us his his plan and his purpose and that was to go and to tell others and make disciples and so i'm excited about that i'm excited about missions i love talking about missions Um, and i believe this that every single one of you and me are missionaries i get to go on an airplane and get to go to haiti but every one of us are missionaries amen and so we have a a purpose but god wants us on mission He wants us to be involved. He wants us to find our place. And the sermon this morning is going to be entitled, Finding Your Place. Finding Your Place. Every one of us have a place in the family of God, and every one of us have a place in the work of God, doing what God has called us to do and what God has asked us to do. And so we're going to look this morning um, in, in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to review an account of Saul's transformation and Saul's Um, conversion, but we're not just going to look at Saul, we're going to look at another man here that's in this picture, a man named Ananias. And I think sometimes we all get excited when we talk about Apostle Paul. He was my favorite man in the Bible, right, because he was like one of the first missionaries. But sometimes we forget about the little guy behind the scenes that makes the the great man great, right? How many of you guys know that not everybody can be Billy Graham, right? Not everybody can be Daniel Yoder, but Every Daniel Yoder and every Billy Graham needed somebody underneath them help carrying the weight and the load. And so I really want to focus on that this morning because I believe this. I believe that in this service today, God's going to work and move and he's going to speak to people and he's going to reveal to them their place. And some of you he may call to the mission field and some of you he may call into the ministry to be a pastor or a, a Sunday school teacher or an evangelist. But many of us We'll never walk that road, but there's a road that we're called to walk, and that road is in service to the Lord, because every one of us has been given the commandment in Matthew 28, 19, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Every one of us has been called to share their faith and to lead others to Christ. And I want to tell you this this morning before we get into this passage, is this, that we hear all the time that we need to go tell others about Jesus, that's the first step, right? We have a ministry back there called Go and Tell that goes and, and tells people about Jesus Christ and prays for people, and I love that ministry. But it doesn't stop at telling. Let me repeat myself. It doesn't stop at telling. The Baptist church, which we are associated with, the Southern Baptist world, has done a great job in evangelizing and telling people about Jesus, but where we failed was discipleship. And guess what? It's kind of like this. God give me an illustration of this. It's kind of like being out the ocean. How many of you guys have been to the ocean? It's like my favorite place, right? Give me some beach time, especially the way the weather's been here lately. I want to hear the, the waves hit the sand. But you're out there on the beach, and you're enjoying the sunshine, and you're just worshiping Jesus, and you look out there, and you see somebody, and they're drowning. And you jump in the ocean, you swim with all your might, you drag them to the bank, and you get them to the edge of the water, and you leave them there. I've saved their life. 
Their lungs are still full of water. They can barely breathe. The waves are still hitting their feet and trying to carry them back out, but I've reached them. Have you done the work? That's what happens when we just go and tell, but we don't disciple. See, Jesus didn't say, go into all the world and tell people about me. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And so the first thing we need to realize is that every one of us hold that responsibility to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Every one of us have. And God wants to use every one of us for his service, regardless of our past, regardless of, uh, of the things we've been through. Regard, no, nobody's excluded from being used by God. Well, I'm too inverted. I'm too, I, I've got too much of a messed up past. No, God wants to use every single one of us to further his gospel. And what so many churches have done is they said, well, that's the pastor's job. Now, the pastor's job in Ephesians is what? To equip the church for the work of the ministry. Pastor Daniel's job is not to go out and evangelize to everybody. He's a great evangelist. I think he's probably one of the best evangelists in our church, the best evangelist in our church. But you know what? His calling is not to be the best evangelist. His calling is to train you to become the best evangelist in Warsaw, in Benton County, in Lincoln. That's why we have ministries like Go and Tell, because Pastor Daniel can't reach all the lost people in Benton County, but God wants to use every one of us. Amen? Man, I can't preach that sermon. I've already preached that one. Okay. Acts 9. Um, we begin to, to hear about a man named Saul in Acts 9.1. Saul later becomes the Apostle Paul. God changes his name. Amen. How many of you guys know that we're not who we used to be? When we come to Jesus Christ, we get a new life and our life gets transformed. Amen. I'm reading out the King James Version this morning, and I know it's a little tripped up for some of you guys, but as a kid, I went to Christian school, and I memorized chapters of the Bible from King James, and so I just kind of stuck with it. It fits for me, so, um, so I'm going to read that, and we're going to look at it a little bit here. In verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threats, threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, the way was what they were called Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. So here's this devout Jew, this zealous Jew named Saul, right? He's a Jewish man. He's not a Christian. He's a Jewish man. He is well-educated. He is in the temple, he's faithful, he goes to church, he does the things, but all of a sudden, he hears about the way, right? Jesus Christ had came and he had messed up things for the Jewish people. He had died on the cross, he rose again, he was resurrected, and the church and the New Testament exploded, right? One, one passage in Acts says 3,000 joined the church that day. One says 5,000 joined the church that day. And the fame of Jesus spread throughout the land and miracles were happening and, and, and things were happening that they had never seen before. And Saul, being this devout Jew, says, this has got to stop. So he starts making threats to these Christians. Hey, if I find you, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. And he did. We, we see that early on in, in Acts, I believe, chapter 8, where it says that he approved of Stephen's death. He stood there and held the coats of those that killed Stephen. This guy was a bad dude, man. Yeah, he was a devout Jew, and you know, he was respected in his community, but he was a bad dude if you were a Christian because he was coming and he was going to, to kill you. And so he had these threats that he was making, but these threats were legit because he went to the high priest and actually got papers basically to be a bounty hunter for Christians. And he's out there on his horse or his donkey or whatever he's driving, and he's out looking for the Christians. And he hears there's a group of Christians in Damascus, and he goes, I'm going to hunt them down, and I'm going to find them, and I'm going to stop the way. I'm going to stop the church. I'm going to stop the Christians, right? He's the hunter, and he's looking for Christians. But we read on in verse 3 of chapter 9. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? 
right? Here's this bad dude on a donkey, and he's, he's heading down the road to Damascus. He's going to go find these Christians, right? And I'm just thinking, he, how many of you guys, when you're, when you're traveling somewhere, you're just thinking about what's going to happen next. You think about what's going what's to take place, and he's planning out his next move, right? When I get to Damascus, man, I'm going to check into that motel, and then I'm hitting the streets to find the Christians. We're going to stop this way. And all of a sudden, He's riding down the road, and a bright light shines, and a voice from heaven speaks to him, and the hunter becomes the hunted. God says, not today, Satan. He stops Saul in his tracks on the road to Damascus. He speaks to him, and Saul says, Lord, who are you? And he says, I'm the one that you persecuted. I'm the one that you're threatening. I am Jesus Christ, right? God does something amazing in this chapter, right? And we love this chapter because it's like, man, the Damascus Road experience. Some of us have had that road experience, right? Some of us met Jesus face to face. We hated Jesus. We had bad experiences. We hated religion. We hated church. And guess what? We had a Damascus Road experience. And God said, I'm the one that you hunt. I'm the one that you're after and against. And guess what? You're going to find me today, buddy. And that's what he did to Saul here. And he trembled and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Rise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee where thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither didn't eat or drink, right? He was blinded for three days, couldn't eat or drink. And he just heard this voice say, go to Damascus and I will show you what to do. He was blinded. Now this next part's really where I want to get to, right? Because the theme of the message today is finding your place. And again, I want to tell you, every single one of you have a place in missions for God. Every one of you have a missions field that you need to work and cultivate and grow for God. Verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and acquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him, that he might receive his sight." I tell you what, I'm really starting to fall in love with this guy named Ananias. Because this Ananias guy kind of looks a little bit like me in some places because I never really was the, the, the guy that was wanting to be up front. I always wanted to be behind the scenes. Anybody like being behind the scenes in ministry? Like, don't put me on a podium. Just give me a job to do. Right? And that's kind of where Ananias was. The Bible teaches this because Paul goes on in Acts, I believe, chapter 22, and he re, rehashes out this account, this thing that happens, and he says Ananias was a devout man. He was a devout Jew, and he was well-respected in his community. And I want to give you three points this morning. And these three points are points that we all need to look at in our lives and say, well, if I'm going to be used by God, then I need to make sure that my life aligns with these three points. Because these three things are three hurdles that we have to overcome in order to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And the first one is this, you've got to be committed to the faith. You've got to be committed to be on mission for Jesus Christ. And this man named Ananias, he was a devout believer in Jesus Christ. He was well-respected. Many scholars believe he was one of the 70 disciples of Jesus Christ. And Ananias was committed to the faith. He wasn't just talking the talk. He wasn't just coming to church on Sunday, but he was living it throughout the week. And church, if there's ever a time in history where we need to be about the Father's business and be committed to the faith, it's now. Because guess what? There's too many people that call themselves part of the way Christians that are not living the lifestyle. And I've had so many people, as I talk to them about Haiti, say, oh, I want to go to Haiti. No, you don't. If you did, you'd line your life up with the Word of God. God can't use you if your life is still a mess and you've not surrendered to Him. If you want God to use you, you're going to have to surrender to Him and get your life lined up with His Word. In fact, we had a guy a few years ago came on to be on a mission trip in 2019. I was the missions pastor here. And he came, he didn't attend church. He didn't attend this church or any other church, but somebody he knew was telling him about this trip. He goes, I want to go to Haiti. He goes, I have some issues. He says, I'm addicted to methamphetamine and marijuana, and I, I'm an alcoholic, but I think that my life will change if I go to Haiti. 
buddy, you're not ready. I said, I'm not going to let you go to my house in Haiti or Terry and Carolyn's house at the time and live with 14 people when you're coming off of meth. No. And guess what? God wants to use every one of us, but we have to be willing to allow our lives to be transformed so he can use us. And many of us disqualify ourselves from ministry because we keep living a life that's a mess and we don't want to surrender. We have something in our life that God has asked us to give up and we just kind of step back. Because I know if I pursue this, then I'm going to have to give it up. And guess what? You keep running, you're going to be like Paul on the side of the road blinded. I've met many people in my life who actually came to an altar one time and and said, hey, I, I feel called to ministry. They never walked into it. You know why they didn't? Because they couldn't handle the cost. Because salvation's free, but to serve God's going to cost you everything. And Ananias had counted the cost, and that's why he was a devout follower of Jesus Christ. The second thing I want to tell you is this. You have to listen and hear. And we live in a culture today that does not know how to listen. We are processing so many things in our mind. We have not learned how to listen to God. Right? We're multitaskers, and we do so much stuff that's just chaotic that we don't even hear God's voice anymore. And I'll give you an example, because I'm just as bad as anybody else. My life's peaceful in Haiti, but I come back to America, and it's just a, it's a whirlwind of things. I'm constantly doing stuff, right? And I, I, I drive back and forth to work in Sedalia, and I can't even just drive anymore. All of a sudden, I've got to look at my phone, and I'm watching TikTok videos, and I catch myself. I'm going, what am I doing? This is stupid. I'm going to get somebody killed, but I just have to be doing something. I've been a professional driver for 20 plus years, and I catch myself, I've got to have a bag of something to eat and something to drink because I can't just drive. And many of us are that way spiritually. We, we, we don't know how to stop and listen for God and to hear God's voice. We want to hear God's voice, but we're so busy doing things, and we've misprioritized our life, and we've allowed things like our cell phone and our tablet and our Kindle and our satellite dish and our sports games to keep us from hearing from God. Because we live in a culture that tells us that if you're quiet, then you're lazy. If I stop and I'm not doing anything, then I'm lazy. And the Bible tells us what? Be still, know that I'm God. It tells us to to lean into him and to listen to him and to hear his voice. So I'm not bashing you guys with a ball bat this morning, but I want you guys to hear me We need to learn to stop and listen. It's okay to sit down. It's okay to be still. And and I can tell you from experience being in Haiti, it's okay to be calm. Right? Pastor Wuzier tells me all the time, allez doucement. Slow down, man. Go slow. I remember dropping Terry and Carolyn off at the airport in March of 2021, last year. And we got in the truck, and it's my first time really driving through Port-au-Prince. And Port-au-Prince is crazy, guys. Like, not just the gangs, the traffic. It's crazy. You're going to get killed, right? People are scared of the gangs in Haiti. I'm scared of the drivers. It's insane. And I get on there, and Wuzier knows how I am. I'm the guy that's 100 mile an hour all the time. Let's do this, right? When me and Marcus used to pack sheetrock together, we'd pack eight sheets a time. Like, well, let's get this done, buddy. So Pastor Wuzier looks at me, and we get in the truck, and I go to start the truck. And he goes, wait a minute. Ale Dusman. I said, what? Ale Dusman. I said, what's that mean? Take it easy, man. Just go slow. Everything you do here, just take it easy. And I tell you that this morning because some of us don't know how to do that. And see, we live in a culture that is a Martha culture, right? And we need to learn to become Marys. The Bible talks about two sisters that were Mary and Martha. And Jesus comes to their house, and Martha's in the kitchen, and she's busy, and she's working. And Mary's sitting at the feet listening to Jesus teach. And Martha comes in the room and says, Jesus, won't you do something about my sister? Here she is sitting here listening to you when I'm trying to prepare a meal. And many of us applaud Martha because guess what? It takes workers to do ministry. But the reality of it is it's okay at times to slow down and become a Mary and listen to the voice of God. If you want to be used by God and you want to be in God's will, you better learn to listen. Or you'll miss your opportunity. Right? I fully believe in divine appointments. I fully believe that God speaks to us and lays on our heart. I can tell you this picture I showed you earlier of the school roof. 
See, I didn't even have to pray. All I had to know is Pastor Wuzier was praying, and God laid it on the heart of some American at Church of Living Water in Warsaw, Missouri, that was 3,000 miles away to message and say, hey, what can I do to help this school? Why? Because that person was listening to God. We've got to learn to listen, church, if we're going to hear God speak to us. And I want to tell you, I'm the worst. I'm a real good talker. I love to talk. My mouth runs all the time. My dad used to tell me I was a jabber box. He always told me to be slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. James 1.19. My dad beat that into me with a paddle. James 1.19, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Because I was always running my mouth. I always let my mouth get ahead of my brain. And I'm guilty of that still. And I'll give you guys an example because I go to the mission field to Haiti, right? I've been going since last year. We spent nine months out of the past 13, 14 months in Haiti. And I want to be used by God, but I get so busy doing the work that we're there to do, right? To help the pastors, to help the school, that sometimes I miss the work that's laying out in front of me. So we decide that we're going to start walking this last trip and getting some exercise. So we say, okay, we're going to do a 5K a day. We figured out how, what it was going to be to do laps around our house. So certain days we stay in the yard and we walk. And then there's days we go out and we walk through the village. And I got to a place where I got uncomfortable because everybody wants something in Haiti. They have nothing and they see that I'm a white person and a missionary that I can help them. And so when they see me, they chase me down or they yell at me, you know, blonde, blonde because they want to get my attention, because if they get my attention, I might help them, right? And you can't blame them for that. You can't get upset with that. But I got a little catalyst at that. And so I got to a point where I tune them out. And I'm walking through the village, and these people are hollering at me, and I'm just like waving at them going on. But what I did was got so busy in my routine that I wasn't listening for God's voice on who to help and when to help, right? Because I got my focus. I'm focused on what I'm doing. Don't ask me for money because my money's already appointed to something else. And so one of the last weeks we were in Haiti in March, we went out and we were walking over to uh, some friends of ours who are also American missionaries that live about 20 minutes from us. And I said, let's go a different way. And I said, I want to walk by one of the pastor's houses. I want to leave him some money before we leave. I know he's struggling. And so we went by his house. He wasn't home. So I had my money in my pocket of my shorts because that's the attire in Haiti. Right, when you guys were freezing wearing your coats, I'm wearing shorts in 82 degree weather. Thank you, Jesus, for calling me to Haiti. Um, but we went by his house, he's not home. And we're walking around and we take this path I've never been to before. And I come around the corner and I see this house. And this house is probably eight by 12. It's old, the roof is rusty, I guarantee the roof leaks. The concrete walls are crumbling. It has a little porch that's probably three by five and there's seven people on that porch and they're wearing rags. And it's the poorest people I've ever seen in our community in Haiti. Skin and bones and loose clothing and rags. And one of the, the men comes walking out to me. And the Lord had been working on my heart because I'm like, Lord, I feel like that I have failed you in certain areas because I've not been listening. And so the guy come out and I said, start talking to him. And I'm through my broken understanding of Krill, I understand that he's sick that his teeth are really bad and they're making him sick. He shows me his teeth and they're almost to the gums and they're kind of pussy and white coming out of them. It's just really nasty. And he's sick. And I said, brother, I want to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And I begin praying for him. And he's asking me to help. He's asking for money. But I'm like, I'm just going to pray for you, brother. And he's asking for help. And I'm like, I don't have any money. I don't have any money, man. And I pray for him and I walk off. And I'm walking down the path. My wife and my three kids are with me. And we get a good quarter mile away. And the Spirit of the Lord hit me and said, you go back and you give man, that man the money. You said you didn't have money and you do. And I got a whooping. Because I wasn't listening. I was using my practical missionary training. Don't ever give people money. You buy something for them, but don't give them money. You just have to tell people no because everybody wants money. Well, what if the Spirit of the Lord speaks to you and tells you to do that, right? And he spoke to me. And I, I looked at my wife and said, I'll be right back. And the kids go, Mom, where's Dad going? Well, he just got a whooping. He'll be back in a minute. <laughs> she knows. 
And so I went back to the man, and I, I apologized. I stopped on the path before I got there, and I repented. I said, Lord, forgive me. Don't ever let me be so callous that I miss you, and I miss the opportunity to minister to somebody else. And I went back. I had $50 on me, and I said, man, I want to give this to you. Take care of your family. Get your teeth fixed, which is not enough to take care of his teeth probably. But the man has some greater needs than that. And I give him what I had. And man, it was the best experience I've had in the mission field in a year. Because I heard God's voice and I answered. I've done some great things. I've been a part of some great things. I've seen some great things. But when I surrendered to God and took my whooping, guess what? Something great happened. A peace of God fell over me. A joy fell over me because I was able to be the difference for somebody else. So church, if you want to be used by God, you've got to learn to listen, right? You've got to learn to listen. Let's read on here in Acts. We're not going to stop yet. Verse 13, then Ananias answered the Lord, I have heard by many of this, these men how much evil he hath done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou comest hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. This is an amazing passage of Scripture, guys. And as we read here in verse 13 and 14, Ananias argues with the Lord. And I think this comes naturally in the call and surrender to Jesus Christ. Because I don't think very many of us are like, God, I'll go. Because sometimes God asks us to go somewhere where we're not comfortable going. He asks us to do something that we think, man, that's not me. But the third step that we must learn is this. We must obey and submit. To obey God is to submit. And God calls Ananias to go and to talk to this blind man named Saul who has the right legally to arrest him and have him killed. And God says, Ananias, go. And Ananias is like, Lord, I've heard some things about this guy. You want me to go to this guy who has the right to arrest me and have me killed? I think every one of us would argue with God at that point, right? But the reality of it is, is Ananias didn't, it didn't stop him. He still went. He still submitted. He still obeyed because he heard the voice of God. He knew what God was calling him to go do, and he did it. And I want you to know, this is where the rubber hits the road for most Christians. Because God tells them to do something here, calls them and asks them to do something. And it's like, Lord, anybody but me. That's not me. Well, that's good because that's where God wants you to be, a place where you can't do it on your own. See, God, God cho chooses the weakest things in this world to use because he knows that he'll be glorified. If he calls the qualified, they'll get all the glory. So who does he use? He uses misfits like you and me. And then he equips us to go and do the work of the ministry. I can tell you in 2018 on my first trip to Haiti, I went with Pastor Daniel and we did a, men's, or a pastor's conference. And I sat back and I listened to that man teach and preach and I thought, man, this guy, has, he's good, right? He's our pastor. I know he's good here, but he's good there too. He's got it. And I'm like, I'm not qualified to teach any of these guys. These guys have been pastoring for 25, 30 years and who am I to teach pastors? And I struggled with the call because I felt God leading me in 2018 to go to Haiti, but I'm like, this guy's way better qualified, God. Daniel, Barbara, the kids, they'll love Haiti. I mean, yeah, they're spiders, but Daniel's the evangelist. He'll change the nation of Haiti, right? God says, no, I, I got your number, big boy. But God, what about so-and-so? Wouldn't they be more qualified? I got this job that makes good money. I could be generous and support that person. 
I'll write the check. Isn't that what we think? I can write the check and it gets me out of jail free card. No, it doesn't work that way. Just maybe God will call you to do something that you don't ever want to do. And that's why some of us resist. That's why some of us are comfortable sitting in our pews and going to church every Sunday, but we don't go any farther because we're afraid that God might take us somewhere we don't want to go. Can I tell you, God will always prepare your heart before you get there. And the reality of it is, once you get there, you think, man, I am glad God's plans are better than mine. I am living proof of that right now. I love being in Haiti. I love being in Haiti. Is there days where I miss America? Absolutely, but I love being in Haiti. And so I want to say this, I want to say this in love, and I want to say this in kindness to you all. To submit to God is to to agree with his plan, even though we don't like it. And there are people in this room that look at the ministries that are on these tables back here, and they kind of turn their nose up. And they go, you know what, I love ministry, and I love missions, but not that one. Like, I'm all for helping people in America, but them people in Haiti, they don't deserve Jesus. Well, let me tell you, Miss Self-Righteous or Mr. Self-Righteous, you don't deserve them either. Right? There are some people in this church that God's going to deal with today that says, well, I love Haiti. Them people can't help themselves. But that roll-on, they take care of alcoholics and drug addicts, and then people put themselves in that position, and guess what? The hell with them. Well, guess what? What if Jesus said the hell with you? Every one of us's life was a mess. And by the grace of God, God redeemed our lives and changed us. You know, I never struggled with alcohol and drugs, but it was the grace of God because if God would have given me a couple more years in the world, I probably would have. But he reached me before I got there. And some of us need to find the compassion of Jesus Christ again and get on mission with him and submit. Because the person that has the stubbed nose toward roll-on ministry or bumpy road missions because they go to Haiti might be the person God is leading to be the prayer warrior and the prayer leader of that ministry. Right? There's some people that say, man, I'm glad you go to Haiti because I can't do it. But you know what? You can still own the mission. You can still be a part of it. You can still pray. You can still support. You can still collect school supplies. You can still collect hygiene items. You may say, man, I have no desire to disciple and train alcoholics and drug addicts. I've never done drugs and alcohol, and that's just not me. Great, but you can still pray. You can still support. You still can encourage. But we all know every one of us need love and compassion, right? Every one of us. So submitting is saying, okay, God, I agree with your plan, even though I don't like it. I'm going to go with it. I'm going to flow with it. And so some of us today, before we leave, need to get on our knees and ask God to change our heart. Because if you have a problem when you hear the word roll-on ministry or bumpy road ministry or Ann's house or go and tell, guess what? You're the one with the problem. You're the one with the problem. Right? Terry and Carolyn, they're leading up go and, go and tell, right? And they stand up here and say, hey guys, we're going to Lincoln on Tuesday night and we're going to hand out flyers and we're going to tell people about our church and you're like, not me. I have no desire to do that. Well, maybe you're the one with the problem. And maybe you're missing the biggest blessing because God's calling you to go. What if Ananias would have told God no? What would have happened? Can I tell you this much? God didn't need Ananias to go to Saul. Didn't need to. God doesn't need any of us to do what, what we want to do in missions or ministry. He didn't need us. He chose us, chose us to use us, right? God knocked Saul on his badonkey donk in the middle of the road and blinded him for three days. I'm pretty sure that he could have drawn Saul to himself without Ananias, right? But he chose to use Ananias. He chose to use him because Ananias was committed and devoted to God. And Ananias listened and when God called him to do something he wasn't comfortable with, he obeyed and submitted anyways. And because of that, his name is written in the book of Acts. It's recorded in the book of Acts. And there's some of us today, it's like, well, yeah, I want to be used by God, but I want to be like Daniel Yoder. 
Not everybody's going to call to be a, a pastor of a church that has 300, 400 people. Some of us are okay with being the big guy on the stage, but maybe God's got something little for you to do. It's the small person, the quiet person, the one that, that supports behind the scenes that still has his name recorded in the Bible, amen? It's like Ananias. If I was to ask you today who Mordecai Ham was, some of you might know who that is. Anybody here know who Mordecai Ham was? Not a hand one. Now, if I ask you who is Billy Graham, anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Some of us would say Billy Graham is the greatest evangelist in our lifetime, right? Mordecai Ham led Billy Graham to the Lord. He had his role. He had his job and his task, and he was faithful to it. What if Mordecai Ham said, no, I don't want to be an evangelist. What if the night that Billy Graham came to the crusade, Mordecai Ham said, I don't feel like preaching tonight. But he didn't. He was faithful. And Mordecai Ham was an eighth-generation evangelist and pastor. It went from generation to generation to generation. What if Mordecai Ham's grandfather said, no, I'm out of ministry. I don't like church people. Church people are, are rude. Church people are evil. And he just walked away from ministry. No, he stayed faithful. He stayed faithful to the call. He stayed faithful to the work. And because of that, generation after generation was passed down. And Mordecai Ham came along. And one night he's preaching an evangelism crusade. And Billy Graham walks through the door. And Billy Graham, his dad was a dairy farmer. He was probably going to become a dairy farmer just like his dad. But God, in an instant, changed it. Because he was at the right place at the right time and a man of God was obedient to declare the word of God and to tell about Jesus Christ. And Billy Graham accepted Jesus Christ that night and because of that, lots of souls have been saved. And the reason I point that out today in this sermon is this. Some of us are wanting to do big things for God, but we're not faithful in the little things. And if you ever want to do big things for God, you better be getting good at doing little things. I can tell you, I would love to lead crusades in Haiti, and I would love to see hundreds of people get saved, but my mission field doesn't look like that very often. In fact, most weeks I don't even get to preach. I love to preach. And I would think, man, I'm going to be a missionary in Haiti. I get to preach all the time. You know what my mission field looks like sometimes? Going to that, that recess yard at the school and wearing my hat backwards and wearing a goofy tie. That's my ministry sometimes. Did I preach the gospel? No, I lived it that day. This summer, Pastor Paul, our pastor in Haiti, his wife passed away a couple years ago. He remarried. And the week of his wedding, um, they were going to have a reception after the wedding, and the ladies were, that, and his family were going to cook for the wedding, and they put on a big feast. And one of them came to my house. It was 8.30 at night. And I can tell you this. At 9 o'clock, I turned my phone off, and if you come to my house, it better be an emergency. You can ask Mr. Bill. He messaged me at 9.30 last night. Can you send me some pictures for the slideshow? And guess what? He didn't get them until I got here this morning because my phone gets turned off at 9 o'clock at night. Just how I am. I like my sleep. Right? These people show up at 8.30 at night and they say, hey, our stove is not working and we need to bake a wedding cake. 8.30 is early enough. Okay. What do you need? Well, I think our regulator's out of the stove. Cool, I got three extra regulators. So I went in the cabinet, got them at a regulator. They come back 15 minutes later. It didn't work. Your regulator's no good. Now my regulator's brand new, it works. You sure you have propane? Yeah, we got propane. Can we use your wife's stove? Can we come in your house and bake the wedding cake? No. It's 8.50 at night, and my wife's getting ready to go to bed, and you are not using her kitchen, right? Come on, ladies, right? It ain't gonna happen. So I, I, I say to this lady, can I look at your stove? Can I come to your house? Would you allow me to come into your house and look at your stove? Sure. Pastor Woozy is there with me. I said, will you take me? Yeah. So I grab a propane tank. I grab a regulator. I grab a lighter. I grab some tools. I have never worked on a propane stove in my life. I can guarantee you um, that Jamie Sirks has no competition on working on appliances when it comes to me. The only thing I want to do with junk appliances is to take them to the salvage yard and get some money out of them. But I've never worked on anything like that, especially not propane. All I know is I can lose eyebrows, and I look goofy enough with them 
let alone without them. But I went. And here I am, it's after 9 o'clock in the evening. I'm in this shack of a house in Haiti. And I'm standing at the door, and we hook up our propane bottle, and we hook up our regulator, and the lady's trying to light the stove. She goes, it's just not working. I'm going to have to come to your house and use your stove. And I'm generous enough to let her do that, but then I'm going to have to live with my wife the next day, and that's not going to be pretty. And I said, well, can I try? Can I come in? And I go in there, and I realize the pilot, you had to hold it in to light the pilot. She wasn't holding it in. She turned the knob, but she wasn't holding it in. And so I go in there, and I light the stove. And voila, she's baking a cake, right? And I got in the truck with Pastor Wuzier the night heading home, and I said, you know what? I never dreamed that missions would look like this. In my wildest dreams, it was never going to look like this. And I say that to you this morning because some of us are going to have to obey and submit what we thought our dreams of ministry would look like in order to be where God wants us to be. See, God didn't need me to go preach to that woman that night, right? I didn't need to go show that lady how much I knew about Jesus. I just needed to be the hands and feet of Jesus that night and light that stove. And so some of us are waiting for God to give us this this calling that we think we need, that we deserve. Well, I want to be the next administrator of Living Waters, or I want to work in the office. And God say, no, where I really need you right now is the nursery. I want to be on the worship team, and Cheyenne won't let me on the worship team. It's because God doesn't need you on the worship team right now. He needs you in the children's church. Well, I want to go to Haiti, but they said, I'm not ready to go to Haiti. It's because God doesn't need you in Haiti right now. He's got Isaiah there. He needs you to help roll on. He needs you to be praying for Haiti. He's giving you a heart for Haiti not to go, but to pray for Haiti. See what I'm saying is we've got to change our minds and get it lined up with God's will. We've got to submit and say, okay, God, I want to do this, but you don't want me to, so I'm willing to do this instead. Come on now, that makes sense, don't it? It makes sense. And some of us are going to have to realign our thoughts and our desires to his. We're going to have to do that in order to find our place. Where's your place in missions? In order to find that, you're going to have to be committed, you're going to have to listen, and you're going to have to obey and submit. And it may not look like what you thought it would. It may be completely different, but I promise you, when you step in obedience to God and you're faithful with the little, God will give you more. He will lead you to something bigger and better. I don't know any great minister that didn't start out serving. Right? Give me a pastor that started out working with youth, that started working out with children's church, that used to be the janitor that cleaned the toilets. Give me that pastor over the one that went to four years of seminary and thinks he knows more about the Bible than the guy that's been preaching for 40 years. That's the guy I want to listen to. That's the guy I want to follow. And see, the thing of it is, is some of us think that we're more qualified to do what God's called us to do than the other, and God says, no, I picked that person. I chose that person to do my will. And I'm going to end here in a minute, but I want to give you guys a story, a Haiti story, because we work with these pastors groups in Haiti. We have this core group that meets every Friday at our place that Terry has been discipling since, what, 2014, I believe. And God led them to Pastor Wuzier to be the interpreter for the ministry and to be the church or the leader, the administrator of the ministry. And Pastor Wuzier wasn't a pastor when God brought him to Terry and Carolyn. So a few years ago, God laid it on his heart to become a pastor, and he started a church, and he's been faithful to that, right? And he's really a busy man. Pastor Wuzier, he has a church, he's leading the school, he started a trade school, he's leased land, and he's gardening, and he's putting people to work because he wants people in his church to have a job so they can feed their families, and he's really compassionate about the things he does. And sometimes, he's so busy that he, he, he's spread out too thin. Anybody ever like that? That's the way this man is. And so I come back to Haiti in December after Christmas, and we meet the first Friday we meet, and there's a little bit of division in our unity group, which is never good, right? Because Pastor Wuzier the week before had gotten busy and wasn't able to show up for the meeting, so he called one of the other pastors and said, hey, you're going to have to lead this week because I can't be there. And when the meeting happened, pastors started talking bad about each other. They started talking bad about Pastor Wuzier because 
Well, he's the leader, and he gets paid by the missionaries, and he doesn't even show up. I should be the leader. I've been a pastor way more than him. I have more education. You know, I'm registered with the government, which is a big deal in Haiti, right? The government knows who I am. They know I'm a pastor, so I should be the leader. And we get into this meeting. I didn't know what was going on because I don't know the language very well. But the Holy Spirit starts revealing to me what's happening in this meeting. And all I know is it's not good. There's division going on. There's some of them throwing their weight around like, hey, I'm the boss. And if you don't like it, you can leave. And Pastor Wuzia gets up and he talks. And I can understand him better than most Haitians. But he tells them, if you have a problem with me, you need to come to me and address me. Don't be taking it to everybody else. This is a unity group. This is special. God has put us together to work together in unity. And if you have a problem with me, come to me. Right? I kind of knew what he said. Not really, but kind of. So it gets my turn. They say, hey, Pastor Isaiah, you got anything you want to share with the pastors? I said, yeah, yeah, I do. I've got something. I said, I don't know what's really going on here, but I know this much. I know that there's some division going on here. I know there's some finger pointing going on, some anger going on here, and God is not happy with it. And I also know that there's people in this room that think that they're more qualified to be in Pastor Wuzier's position than Pastor Wuzier. And they think because they've got an education or that they're registered with the government, they should be the leader of this group. Well, I'm here to tell you, God appointed that man and God put him as the leader of this unity group. So if you got a problem with him being the leader, you better take it up to God. Because God put him there. And boy, they all got silent. And one pastor, he spoke up and he goes, you don't know the language, pastor, but you, you listen to the Spirit. And you heard the Spirit talk. And I tell you that because I think that there's some of us that might be in this room that kind of think that way too. We think we're more qualified than somebody else, and we see somebody else doing great things and think, well, I should be that position. No, God's put that person in that position, and you have your own position to fill. Quit aspiring to be Daniel Yoder and be the lead pastor at Living Waters and start aspiring to be the man of God that called you, he called you to be in the place that he called you to be. Quit desiring to be Cheyenne Sally and be the worship leader for Living Waters and just be faithful where God has placed you. Because God's got a place for you too. And wherever it is, the people that he's got you to be around are the people that need what you have. Come on now, amen, right? God wants to plug you in somewhere. He wants to connect you. He wants to give you that place. Are you listening to it? Are you going to be obedient to it? Are you willing to walk it out? Could you imagine Ananias, right? God says go. And he's argued with God and then Okay, now i got to go. i actually got to take those steps and walk to that house and go to this man, and I don't know what's going to happen. Boy, that would be a, some steps of fear, wouldn't it? Boy, fear would want to creep in pretty good walking over to talk to Saul of Tarsus. And if we wouldn't care for our fear could overcome our faith, and we could miss the opportunity to be used by God. Some of you are sitting here today, and you know that, that's the story of your life. God told you to do something and you were too afraid. The steps were too hard. Your feet got too heavy. And you turned around and retreated. And you found yourself sitting in a chair in living waters today. And you're hiding out because you don't want to do what God's called you to do. Well, I'm telling you, there's no greater place to be than being God's will. Think about Jonah. Right? He ran. He got on a boat thinking he was going to get away from God, and guess what? It cost him. Right? He got a three-day trip in the belly of a fish or a well, right? And then he became God's vomit, a fish vomit, and got thrown on the bank just because he wanted to be disobedient because he didn't want to go where God told him to go. So as we end this service this morning, we're going to end on a positive note. And that positive note is this, God wants to use every single one of us. And I know that God's speaking to people's hearts. I know that this message wasn't by accident. But some of you desire greatly to be used by God. And I just want to ask you to be faithful. It's not going to happen overnight. I didn't get to Haiti overnight. It took me years. 
It took me years. There's some times in ministry I had to do some things I didn't want to do. But he was faithful. And he, he led me. And I, I thought I screwed up God's plan for my life. Guess what? Before God called us, he factored our stupid. Right? And there's grace in that place too. And we're going to fail. And we're going to make steps, make mistakes following God and being on mission for him. There's going to be times where we miss the opportunity. There's going to be times where we pray for the guy and we walk on and we never go back. And God's grace is there too. But church, we need to keep our heart tender toward the things of God and the work of God because it's out there. The Bible tells us that the fields are white unto harvest and the laborers are few. And my prayer today is is that prayer found in that verse. I pray that God sends laborers from this church to the harvest field, whether it be Africa, Australia, Haiti, Papua New Guinea, Warsaw, Lincoln, Coal Camp, Texas, Preston, Urbana, yeah, Preston, Urbana, the school district, right? Wherever your job's at, that God sends you to lead somebody else to Jesus Christ. Church, can we bow our heads this morning? And we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. If you're here this morning and you need prayer for anything, Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord. and You said, man, I feel the call to come home. I feel the call to be set free from bondage. I feel the call to accept Jesus as my Lord. I want you to know the altars are open this morning, and you can do that today. You can leave here a free man. You can leave here a free woman. You can leave here set free. And the altars are open today to do that. And I promise you, you won't be at these altars alone. If you need prayer today for anything, if you're struggling with something in life, life has become overwhelming. If you're struggling with the depression or discouragement, or you have a family member in need, you can come to these altars today and you won't be alone. You will be greeted by brothers and sisters that want to pray for you. So I want to ask you this morning, maybe God's dealing with your heart on missions, and maybe you feel led to do something. Maybe you just feel drawn to be a part of a ministry or a missions here at the church. Today's the day. When you leave this room, go to the tables back there and talk to that ministry. But come to the altar and talk to God. The altar is always open at Living Waters and the water is flowing freely.